Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Over the last two weeks, the question of how much an MP's spare time is worth has been high on the Westminster agenda. Do you have a daily rate at the moment? I do. I do, yes. It's 10,000 sterling. But I'm looking, I would do anything less than for about $10,000 a month. Dollars or pounds? Well, pounds sterling. The campaign group, led by Donkeys, posed as a South Korean company and targeted a number of MPs to see if they'd like to join their board. Five Tory MPs were caught up in the sting, including the former Health Secretary, Matt Hancock, and the former Chancellor, Kwasi Kwarteng, who not only agreed, but suggested astronomical rates for their services. But the most incredible part about that scandal is the fact that, actually, none of it was against parliamentary rules. With a whiff of sleaze still hanging in the air and public anger rising, little did the Conservative Party know that a much bigger scandal was on the horizon. And this time, the MP in question appeared to be willing to break parliamentary rules. At the start of March, two Times reporters went undercover, posing as a fake investment fund looking to invest in the gambling industry. They tried to persuade MPs to join them as expert advisers, and during the interview process, they asked candidates to lobby for their company in Parliament for cash. In an exclusive Times investigation, some of the MPs turned them down, but one was willing to provide exclusive Westminster access. PR agencies are absolutely great. Uh, they have established set of contacts, and they know how to work the room, etc. The one thing they don't have is direct access to a government minister. Mm. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, cash for access. The Times investigates.
Hello. It is, yeah. So we're in the lobby of a fairly upscale hotel in central London near the House of Commons. Oh, great. I'll send my colleague down uh, to find you. No problem. See you shortly. And we're posing as staff from an investment fund interested in the gambling industry. Billy Kember is senior investigations reporter at The Times. And in early March, he, alongside The Times economics correspondent, Artie Nachepan, were at a meeting in a smart hotel, but they were working undercover. And on the other side of the table, there's a Tory MP. Hi, William. Nice to meet you. Please have a seat. There's months and months of work that sort of lead up to that point, and at that point you're really just sort of waiting to see what happens. You've done your homework, and now it's time to test the hypothesis effectively. Everything comes down to this one meeting. Tell us, what led you to investigate this MP in particular? We were looking at a number of MPs, and we were looking at an issue that's, I think, been floating around Westminster for a while now. And we were acting on uh, allegations that had been raised by a number of senior political figures that they believed and were concerned that there were MPs who were acting on behalf of the gambling industry in exchange for financial reward in some form, and that that is in breach of parliamentary rules. And why was the gambling industry so important right now? So we're about two and a bit years into a major review of gambling laws, the first time that those laws have been looked at since 2005. And since then, as you might imagine, a lot has changed. The advent of the smartphone has led to an explosion in in online gambling in particular. And there are a lot of concerns that have been raised along the way by campaigners about the impact that's had on addiction, on on suicides, and on the behaviour of betting operators in in developing games that they say are are very addictive, in in running so-called VIP schemes where they're encouraging people to keep gambling. One of the interesting things about this review is how long it's been going on for. It was a pledge in the Conservative Party manifesto at the previous general election. We can now gamble anywhere at any time. So it's time to take stock of the significant changes of the last 15 years and to pull our legal and regulatory framework into the digital age. So today, we're launching the first part of our comprehensive review of the Gambling Act. It was announced in December 2020. It was originally due to report back in 2021. It won't escape your notice. We're now in 2023. Um, It's been delayed repeatedly. There have been six gambling ministers in that time, four culture secretaries. It's got to a point where it's been close to being published on, I think, at least three or four occasions and then has been pulled back for fresh debates about what exactly to include. But it does look like they are getting very ready to publish the final version. And I think we're now expecting that as soon as Parliament comes back from the Easter recess. It's a very important review for the industry. And there's a whole raft of some quite strict new proposals to toughen up the rules around gambling. And alongside that, there's been a really extensive lobbying campaign, both by the industry and also on the side of campaigners who are view this quite reasonably as, a, as an opportunity to have a, a real impact to protect against gambling harm. And it's the lobbying part of that process that you were particularly interested in. It was, yeah. So we had information or certainly allegations that that MPs were taking payment or receiving financial reward in exchange for the way that they were acting on this issue in in advocating in the interest of the the industry to water down some of these proposals. And there was concerns about what was going on behind the scenes in the corridors of power that you can't see from the outside that your average voter would never know about. 
you had a sense that there was probably some lobbying going on amongst MPs around the gambling industry ahead of this legislation. Mm-hmm. You said months of work go into that one meeting. At what point do you think the only way we're going to get to the bottom of this is by going undercover? How easy a decision is that? So it's an, it's not an easy decision at all, and that, and that is really why it, it, it takes as long as it does. And what we had was a, a huge wealth of, of evidence of suspicion that this is what was happening. But what we didn't have is people that were in a position to confirm that this is what was going on. And, you know, if I rang up one of these MPs and said, hi, I'm a reporter from The Times, can you tell me about the financial reward you've been receiving and the effect that's had on your behaviour in Parliament in a way that contravenes the rules... Obviously, they're not going to tell me. <laughs> Funnily uh, enough, they're not opening up. Um, <laughs> I so, think that's when they hang up. Yes, I think so, I think so too. At that point, the kind of only way to then test this evidence is to go undercover to pose as investors in this industry who are looking for insight and influence and to see what comes back. So tell me about that. When you decide to go undercover, how do you do it? So we presented ourselves as a company called Tar Partners, which we said had been set up as a family office by an Indian businessman a number of years earlier, was now expanding in London and was interested in investing in the betting and gaming sector in particular, and was concerned about this uncertainty that exists at the moment as this white paper review continues in terms of what regulations are going to be brought forward and wanted some insights and behind-the-scenes knowledge about that and potentially to try and influence that in ways that would benefit the investments we already had and were looking at making. We then set up a website for the company. We had a designer come up with a, a logo for the company in which we put on some business cards. We said we had addresses in, in India and in London, so that's that was the sort of cover story we were using to then contact a number of MPs to see if they would be interested in a job as an advisor to this company. We just sent an email out of the blue, just a, a sort of cold call email to these eight MPs and then waited to see what happened next. So once you've sent these emails out, what happens? How do they start to respond? So we had different responses from different MPs and indeed several MPs who never responded and may never have read the email. One came back and said it was very clear he, he couldn't lobby on our behalf. He couldn't offer parliamentary advice that doing either one would be in breach of the rules. And he wasn't really looking for a job, but he was nevertheless happy to meet. Another, Craig Whitaker, said he was interested and we arranged a meeting. And then literally the evening before the meeting was due to take place, he emailed quite late at night to say he was concerned he was being scammed and that this was not a legitimate and genuine company and that therefore he wasn't comfortable meeting anymore. And in subsequent correspondence, he he referred to some videos that had been put online by a campaign group called Led by Donkeys, which had come out that weekend, in which they'd secretly filmed a number of MPs discussing a job offer and, and how much they would want to be paid. And then we had a third MP, Scott Benton, who said he was he was interested. We arranged a, a date to meet and that meeting went ahead. And tell us about him. Who is Scott Benton? Scott Benton is one of the 2019 intake. He's among the eight Conservative MPs who won in what's known as red wall seats in the in the north of England. And he is 35. He's a former local councillor. I'm delighted to be at William Hill here in Blackpool. Betting shops employ thousands of people across the UK and are a key driving force to get people out on their high streets. He has been an outspoken advocate of the gambling industry over the last two or three years. 
Betting and gaming is a key part of the UK's dynamic and diverse leisure and entertainment industry. Questions have to be asked about whether the Gambling Commission has extended its role beyond what is expected of a regulator. He's the chair of the all-party parliamentary group on betting and gaming, and he was willing to meet. So Scott Benton was, you knew he was clearly interested in the gambling industry. Tell us about the meeting that actually took place. So the meeting took place at a London hotel. Hi, Scott. What's this? Hi, Oliver. Hello. Lovely to meet you. I'm well. well. That was William on the phone. It was myself and a colleague, Artie Nachiapan, and we were posing as two representatives of this investment fund. It lasted about 70 minutes. And during the course of that conversation, Scott Benton discussed a number of services that he was willing to, to offer the company if he was hired for this role as an advisor. What were those services? The first thing he discussed was his direct access, he said, to ministers. And he explained how MPs were uniquely positioned to do this because they vote so regularly in the House of Commons. The beauty of um, politicians, if you like, are um, we vote in the House of Commons two or three times a day. And he said even if he'd put in a request for a phone call with a minister or or tried to catch up with them earlier in the day and he he hadn't heard back, he would be able to wait in the voting lobby. um, You will literally stand at the beginning, at the entrance to the voting lobby, and if you wait there for five minutes, the minister has Mm -hmm. to pass you. And then you've got ten minutes while you walk around to the next vote to have his ear. So even if I say, Stuart or uh, Lucy, can I speak to you today and nobody gets back to me, if you're persistent, (laughs) you can get your point across pretty easily. He laid out how that was something that that only politicians can offer in in contrast to a PR company or a lobbying outfit, which we said we were speaking to Mm. a number of different types of of individual to see what would be the best fit for, for this role. Yeah, but obviously they're not in there in the voting lobby. So he's offering to collar ministers for you. What else could he do? So another thing he mentioned was that he could table questions, both written questions and oral questions in the chamber. Uh, We can obviously put parliamentary questions on the table. So DCMS questions on Thursday, so we can ask things in a direct manner in public to see if the reaction we get is consistent with what we get in private, which mm-hmm. isn't always the case. Mm. Uh, there's written questions as well where we can table things on the public record and get an instant response within five working days mm. on any question whatsoever, which obviously nobody else uh, outside the political realm can. And he said alongside that would often come a private note from the minister responsible, giving you a bit more information, that the thing that they didn't want to put out in public. In response to that answer as well, you get a private note from the minister, which sometimes tells you information he couldn't put in the public domain, because yeah. all those questions on the public record, yeah. that he might say, I couldn't say this in public, but this is a real answer I would have given you in private. So that's useful. And he said that could be very useful and something he was willing to do for us if we had information we were looking to glean that he would be able to table questions on our behalf. So not only would he be tabling those questions on your behalf using a democratic tool entirely for a business purpose, but he would even give you the extra information which wasn't meant for public consumption, the private note. He said he would, yes, yeah. 
Wow. Approach, actually. Have you had, can I ask if you've had, if you've done this before, or you know, what kind of success have you had with this approach, with being able to table a question on a particular topic, engage the reaction? Um, very good. So if you go on, uh, well... Had he done anything like this before? He actually showed us a written question that he had tabled a few weeks earlier in mid-February. Oh, there we go. It was two weeks ago, 17th of February. So um, there's a written question, so that was sent on behalf of one business, essentially. The Office of Product Safety and Standards um, conducted an investigation into regulation. Now we were undercover, we weren't able to ask him kind of point blank what company and when and how much were you paid to do that. So it's not clear which company it was. It's not clear if he was paid to do that, if there was a financial reward involved, if he'd received hospitality from this company in the preceding 12 months, for example, then it would be a breach of the rules for for him to ask a question that would financially benefit them. But he indicated he had done this before and that this wasn't something he'd just sort of come up with on, the, on that particular day. Would he have to declare whatever you were giving him? So MPs have a number of different rules around transparency and declaring their interests, and they are required to declare compensation they've received from outside jobs. There's been a lot of scrutiny of that, of so-called second jobs, over the last couple of years. And he said he would have to declare our company in that manner. He would also need to declare if he was tabling a question that he had an interest. I'd have to declare an interest, um, but I wouldn't have to declare what the interest is. So as long as I've gone on public record and say... I'm declaring an interest because I may be connected to an operator in the gaming world who's, who's, uh, who I've had contact with in the past. I wouldn't have to say company X have. Mm, okay. yeah. so as, as long as I'm open with there is a link, I don't mm. have to say what the link he said he wouldn't need to say what that interest was. He would just have to say that he did have an interest. And you know, neither of those two declarations can get around the fact that it is against the rules to act as a paid advocate to table written questions on behalf of a company for their financial benefit, having received a financial reward, or in this case, expecting to receive a financial reward from that company. So... This is an MP who is now offering to table questions for you in Parliament, to collar ministers when he goes to vote and speak to them on your behalf, and even to provide you with private information that he gets from ministers, not for public consumption, that will be of benefit to you. And all of this he would be paid for if he took on this role. That sounds pretty serious. He appeared to have a complete disregard for the rules that prevent exactly this behaviour. And that wasn't all. There were several other things he said he was willing to do. Coming up, Scott Benton offers more questionable services to the Times team. That's in just a moment. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So Billy, you said that there was more to come. What else did Scott Benton say to you? So we asked him, we were talking about our desire to have behind-the-scenes information, to have insight into what was going on in the corridors of power before decisions were announced. And we asked him whether he would be able to leak us a copy of the white paper itself before it was made public. Now, that is a document that is market-sensitive, I, I think it's fair to say, because on previous occasions when there have been draft versions sort of ready to go, but they ended up not being published. And journalists have learned of some of the details of what's in them and, and written about that. It has moved the share price of major gambling operators in terms of, is this more draconian than we were expecting? Is this a bit more relaxed than we were expecting? It, it has an impact on the share price. Wow, so that had the serious market implications there. And he was willing, in fact, he said he could guarantee that he could get that for us at least 48 hours before it was made public. Would we, would it be realistic to get advanced sight of the white paper, for example, when it's sort of finally decided or anything on those lines? Uh, probably. Um, that would only be a number of days, so. Okay. So that would still be useful for investment? Yeah, for a bit of a defence site. Ab- absolutely. I could guarantee you would get that within 48 hours of publication. Before publication? Yeah, Great. He said he would make a song and a dance internally to make sure he, he, he got a copy of it. He did that even though we made it clear that it would be financially advantageous for us to get this white paper early. Or, you know, it could be to our advantage if something's changed and no one else knows. Um, so if you're able to you know, get this advanced site 48 hours 
would probably be enough. I mean, earlier it would be great. Um, You'd be investing based on what you saw before the rest of the public had a chance. We would have that opportunity, yeah. I mean, that sounds like it would be a serious contravention of the rules. What else was he able to do for you? So he also talked about how he... It's sort of an insight, really, I think, into into how kind of lobbying really works in practice. He talks about there being a group of friendly and like-minded colleagues who he could call in favours with. Mm. And I've supported other colleagues, particular asks in meetings mm. when they've spoken to company X, Y and Z, and I'm mm. sure they would return the favour as well. Right. So there's a broad base of colleagues who can sort of settle behind a coherent number. Both in terms of helping us to build support for whatever our particular policy goals were amongst a group of MPs, perhaps. If you wanted a private meeting, if you wanted to speak to as many colleagues as possible, mm. I'm chair of the Betton and Gaming um, Parliamentary Group, mm. so we could essentially reconvene a, well, convene a meeting in the back group and mm. you'd have the floor to speak about whatever you wanted to colleagues. If you wanted to do it over lunch, mm. if you wanted to do it over dinner, whatever that mm. was, just smaller groups. An event with the APPG, he offered to host a, a dinner in the House of Commons. To a larger number, however that format wanted. Right. But also in, in terms of pushing for information, asking questions, intervening in debates, those, those sorts of areas. One of the things we discussed was that a good way to, to win support amongst MPs was through the use of corporate hospitality. Certainly in, in India, we've, um, the officers regularly takes people out to the cricket or to the you know, races or whatever it might be, and that's quite a nice environment for people to kind of have a nice time and you can kind of chat to them while they're there. Is that a good yes, way of... Um... That, that's what most companies tend to do, actually, in the industry. So it's Cheltenham next week. Oh, yeah. You'd be aware of that, so... Uh... We were speaking, I think it was a week before the Cheltenham Horse Racing Festival, and he said a lot of companies would take a box there or would host a dinner there and would invite MPs. Cheltenham or a room or have a dinner or whatever and then just speak to people mm. when they're, they're having a drink or a glass of wine or that type of thing. And is it quite easy to get people along to that, presumably uh, people like a day at the races? Very, very easy. <laughs> Talk about pushing at an open door. Yeah. In, in fact, you'll have people chasing you saying, colleague X, Y and Z wants to come is there any more room? So that, that's, yeah, that's that works very, very well. Um, wow. And is this something that he himself was making use of quite a lot? So Scott Benton has declared, I think, in the region of £8,600 worth of hospitality in the last two years alone. That's been paid, that has been paid for by the gambling industry or by there's a, a lobbying organisation or a, tra- a sort of trade group that, that that is also involved in this sector. That includes tickets to Ascot, to Wimbledon. He's been to the Brits. I think he went to two matches at the European Championships. Uh, so he has a, a track record of, of accepting hospitality. And in fact, he suggested that his public register of hospitality he had accepted was only a, a partial picture of of what he'd actually what he'd actually done. Oh, really? How does that work? So MPs are required to declare hospitality if it's got a value of at least three hundred pounds, or if they've received more than three hundred pounds worth of hospitality from the same source in a calendar year. So um, a lot of companies try to be quite cute about um, the level of the hospitality and mm. um, to make sure it falls just under mm. so people don't have to declare it. It normally works for the company and it normally works for MPs as well. Does, um, is that just sort of saying, oh, it's only, it only costs this much per person? Yes. So even if it actually costs a bit more? Without saying too much, you would be amazed at the number of times I've been to races and the, the ticket comes to 295 yeah. 
that, that's, the, that's the threshold, is it? <laughs> he said you would be amazed how often I've been to the races and it, the cost of the ticket was declared to me as being £295. <laughs> say this but um, essentially all MPs are looking for is a, a, a ch an email chain saying this is how much a ticket costs so if we get caught out it's like well the company told me it costs us much and essentially what you uh, pay for it is nobody else's business so. not my fault government essentially all MPs are looking for is an email chain saying this is how much a ticket cost so if we get caught it's like well the company told me it cost this much and essentially what you paid is nobody else's business. And he was willing to do all of this for money. Mm -hmm. What sort of sums are we talking? So we'd said in, in our email to him and the first email that we sent to, to all these MPs that you know, there would be uh, generous compensation and potentially a role on the board of one of our portfolio companies down the line. When we raised the issue of fees with Scott and asked him what sort of amount he would be looking for... Yeah, would you have a figure in mind? What, what sort of compensation would you be looking for? Um, I would leave that to you. <laughs> he, he sort of demurred and said, oh, I'd leave that to you. I, I wouldn't want to wouldn't want to suggest a figure. I mean, we were thinking probably in the range of two to £4,000 a month, um, but um, I don't know if that sounds in the right ballpark. Um, yes, I think yes. And we suggested a figure of two thousand to four thousand pounds a month for two days' work per month, and he indicated that, that that was agreeable to him. That was satisfactory. Billy, earlier when you were telling us about the hospitality, it sounds like Scott Benton actually said, "If we get caught out, this is what we do." So you know that does seem like there is an awareness there of the rules. I mean, just take us a step back and remind us of exactly what those rules are. So there, there are quite a few different rules that apply in different ways here. There are general principles, the, the Nolan principles of public life that were set out in the 1990s, I think in 1995, in response to the original cash for questions scandal where two newspapers had found MPs who were willing to table questions in exchange for cash, which set out the principles that MPs are expected to abide by, which include things like selflessness, honesty, integrity, transparency. But there are also specific rules. So MPs have been prohibited for many years now from acting as paid advocates. And that means being paid lobbyists in Parliament, taking part in parliamentary proceedings, whether that be approaching ministers, intervening in debates, tabling questions, whatever it might be, for the benefit of a company or an individual who is paying them. Until quite recently, there was a small distinction within this whereby MPs were allowed to participate in meetings or debates on behalf of interest, but not to initiate them. But that distinction was removed. So that would mean if somebody else had called a meeting mm -hmm. or there was already a meeting taking place, they could turn up, yes. even though they were representing the interests of somebody who'd paid them effectively. Yeah, so they could, they could participate but not initiate, exactly as you say. But that distinction was removed. That was one of a number of changes that has taken place quite recently in response to the Owen Patterson lobbying scandal. For five years, Mr Patterson earned more than £100,000 a year on top of his MP's salary by consulting for two firms. Last week, the Parliamentary Standards Committee ruled he had lobbied for these firms in a, quote, egregious case of paid advocacy. Mr Patterson announced he would leave Parliament and the cruel world of politics at once. He maintains his innocence. 
those rules were changed last year and came into effect at the start of March, which was just a few days before we met. But most of what he was suggesting would be a breach of the rules under the rules that have stood for many years, not the recent changes. So on every level, all of the things that he's offering seem to be directly against the rules. And some of these rules that have just come in, which you'd assume he'd be aware of, there's been a lot of discussion in Parliament around them. He actually also explicitly mentioned second jobs and the scrutiny that there had been around second jobs at one point in the conversation. Would you, presumably you'd have to declare somewhere, would you, that sort of our, you know, our entity is, um, is paying you and you're in your position with us or would it, is it, you can keep it as vague as just something in the sector that I've got an interest in? Um, no, I've, uh, um, I would have to declare if it's for a certain limit, anything's right. having to declare any outside income, right. okay. which is a source of... Uh, Ongoing uh, yeah. <laughs> interest in Parliament, should we say, second jobs and handle. I wouldn't be surprised if people find it dispiriting that this sort of behaviour seems to just recur and recur. In a response to this investigation, Scott Benton told The Times, Last month, I was approached by a purported company offering me an expert advisory role. I met with two individuals claiming to represent the company to find out what this role entailed. After this meeting, I was asked to forward my CV and some other personal details. I did not do so as I was concerned that what was being asked of me was not within parliamentary rules. I contacted the Commons Registrar and the Parliamentary Standards Commissioner who clarified these rules for me and had no further contact with the company. I did this before being made aware that the company did not exist and the individuals claiming to represent it were journalists. And Craig Whitaker, the MP who decided not to meet Billy because of his concerns over whether the business was legitimate, told The Times, As I've already announced, I'm standing down at the next general election and looking at what is available for when I finish being an MP. How big a scandal is cash for lobbying, do you think, still, despite all of the rules that have come in? You know, it it feels like this is one MP, but, you know, is this a symptom of a wider culture where rules are still being ignored? So I think the fact that we see this sort of issue come up kind of every few years in a slightly different guise shows that the rules have, even with the amendments that have occurred over the years, people have found ways around the rules or found things that skirt the rules or are grey areas. I think there's a wider public concern around MPs and, and lords making money from their job and therefore potentially acting in a way that is not in the best interests of their constituents. You know, we saw recently the Led by Donkeys undercover sting. It, they weren't showing any rule breaking by MPs. MPs are allowed to have second jobs if they want. But I think you know, we can see from the reaction that people were, were quite shocked that, that they were willing to do that and that some of the sums that were being quoted for day rates were, were very high. I mean, you would assume being an MP, a full-time MP, would be a full-time job. You know, you mentioned the Led by Donkeys secret sting. This is a campaign group. I mean, just remind us of exactly how that worked and, and why that falls within the rules, whereas what you've done with your investigation is distinctly different. 
So this is, as you say, it's a campaign group. They're called uh, Led by Donkeys, and they contacted MPs and said, we represent a South Korean company. We're looking for someone to sit on our board. There'll be a few meetings a year. One of them will be in Korea. You'll need to fly out for that, but we'll kind of pay you handsomely to do so. And that's not breaking any rules. You're allowed to have a second job uh, as long as it doesn't involve lobbying uh, on behalf of that company or advising them how to influence parliament. But clearly it proved very embarrassing for the MPs involved and it opens a debate about whether it's appropriate for MPs to be able to take on even those sorts of roles when it eats into the amount of time that they would have available to carry out their parliamentary duties. Our investigation, I think, is in a different category, really. What happened with Scott Benton, what he outlined, uh, if he were to have been hired and to have carried out those actions would have been a clear breach of several parliamentary rules. Even him having the conversations is arguably a breach of a number of principles and a rule around integrity in public life and upholding the reputation of parliament and amounting, therefore, to improper conduct. And so that's why it's been referred to the Standards Commissioner, who will now investigate and will judge whether or not he's, in their view, he has broken these rules. And Billy, just remind us, what are the potential sanctions for breaching the rules or for being willing to breach the rules? So you can definitely be suspended from sitting in the Commons for a period. And I think in the past, sometimes that's been quite long. I think I remember one being six months and that MP just electing to resign. Constituencies now have a recall, an ability to recall their member of parliament. So that would give them a chance to and elect then, a new MP. So then there would potentially be a vote. He could stand in that vote unless he's been pre- prevented from standing. But that would give him a chance potentially to appoint a new MP. Otherwise, you know, we're expecting a general election a year and a bit from now. And you know, voters ultimately will have their say then. And last night, after The Times published this investigation, Westminster reacted. I think it's a fantastic investigation by The Times. MPs really think that they're underpaid. It's not good enough to have more than 82 grand as a as a salary. He's just blown the lid on actually how it can work. And Angela Rayner has tweeted about this story. She said, this Prime Minister is failing to deliver the integrity that he promised. Opposition parties are demanding that he has the whip withdrawn. Here's uh, Steve Reid from Labour. Rishi Sunak needs to take action straight away and he needs to suspend Scott Benton from the Conservative whip. Let me just bring you some breaking news. The breaking news in the last few minutes is that Scott Benton, the Conservative MP, has now had the party whip withdrawn. More coming up on that here on Times Radio. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, Senior Investigations Reporter for The Times, Billy Kember. If you're a subscriber, you can read Billy and Artie Nachepan's full investigation and watch the video of the meeting with Scott Benton at thetimes.co.uk. This episode was produced by Sam Chantarasak and Taryn Siegel, The executive producer today was James Shield and sound design was by David Crackles. If you can, please do leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. It'll help others to find us. And if you have a story that you think we should be covering or you want to get in touch with any of your thoughts, please do email us at storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. 
Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.